Logical Progression, Chapter 9, Lesson 1. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wal-aqibatu lil-mutaqeen. Wal-a'udba'ana illa ala zalimeen. Wa salawatullahi wa salamuhu ala ash-sharaf al-anbiya'i wal-mursaleen Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla. Wa anta tajlu al-hazna idha shi'la sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husni ibadatik ya rabbal karim assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh hayakum allah jazakum allah khair it's always wonderful to be back in in kl um especially um for logical progression especially with our regular students i can see so many from my right and my left i can see the shamiras and the sharifas and the deenas and everyone everyone's around and alhamdulillah, it's our, my absolute honor to be back with the regular students. For those who it's a first time for, I hope that you were uh, not misled. This is not a general lecture. This is our, our uh, giving back to our LP students. Um, I had the option, of course, of doing a public lecture, but I prefer to stick to our uh, weekly lesson, our weekly lesson on fiqh, the commentary to al-sharh uh, al-mumti'ah which is itself a commentary to Zad al-Mustaqni'ah. So very quickly, Zad al-Mustaqni'ah is a small, uh, relatively small uh, speaking, um, text um, in fiqh, according to the Hanbali Madhab. And then in our modern time, Shaykh Muhammad Saleh ibn al-Uthaymeen, alayhi rahmatullah, he did a commentary of that um, in many volumes, 15 plus volumes, and he called that uh, the nice and easy uh, or the enjoyable commentary. Um, and in it, he discusses so many different things about the religion. So we're talking about not just fiqh, but aqidah and adab and everything, and tazkiyah, everything you can possibly imagine, whilst he's going through the story or the, the narrative of the fiqh text. So that makes it a very nice uh, book for us to use and explain and make our, our own commentary upon that as well. In any case, um, we are, alhamdulillah, starting a new chapter, a big chapter. We are, it's the ninth chapter that we're starting now, and it is the book uh, of Al-Ghusl, or the chapter of bathing. So I'm going to read out the Arabic text, and then I will read out the English. Now, many of you will not uh, have this uh, here with you right now, and that's because, um, <laughs> well, it's just because you're ahead of the portal time, which is based in the UK, actually it will be it is actually on the portal if you were to go and access the portal now then you'd find the notes but of course you're sitting here right in front of me so why would you be accessing the portal so you won't be able to see the notes so you're just going to have to just uh, try to visualize what i'm saying so bab al-ghusli the chapter of bathing the mu'allif alayhi rahmatullah imam al-hajjawi this is what he said wa mujibuhu khuruj أو دفقا بلذة لا بدونهما من غير نائم وإن انتقل ولم يخرج اغتصل له فإن خرج بعده لم يعده وتغيب حشفة أصلية في فرج أصلي قبولا كان أو دبرا ولو من بهيمة أو ميت أو ميت وإسلام كافر وموت وحيض ونفاس لا لولادة عارية عن دم ومن لزمه الغسل حرم عليه قراءة القرآن 
ويعبر المسجد لحاجة ولا يلبث فيه بغير وضوء ومن غسل ميتا أو أفاق من جنون أو إغماء بلا حلم سن له الغسل والغسل الكامل أن ينوي ثم يسمي ويغسل يديه ثلاثا وما لوث ويتوضأ ويحثي على رأسه ثلاثا ترويه ويعم بدنه غسلا ثلاثا ويدلكه ويتيامن ويغسل قدميه مكانا آخر والمجزئ أن ينوي ويسمي ويعم بدنه بالغسل مرة ويتوضأ بمد ويغتسل بصاع فإن أصبغ بأقل أو نوى بغسله الحدثين أجزأ ويسن, ويسن لجنب غسل فرجه والوضوء لأكل ونوم ومعاودة وطأ. So that's the entire chapter that I decided to read out um, of the text of the book of Ghusl. The translation of the entire chapter is the chapter of Ghusl, Ghusl, the ritual bath. So the Ghusl is obligated in the following cases. Number one, the, ejacula the ejaculation of sperm in spurts and accompanied by pleasure from someone who is awake. Without these two characteristics, then this is not the case. If one feels the sperm moving, but it doesn't exit, one still takes a bath because of that. If the sperm exits afterwards, it is to be ignored. Number two, the glands of the penis completely penetrates a normal vagina or anus, even that of an animal or a deceased one. Number three, a non-Muslim enters Islam. Number four, death. Number five, menstruation. Number six, postpartum bleeding, but not if one delivers without any bleeding. Whoever is obligated to make ghusl is also prohibited from reciting the Qur'an. They are allowed to pass through the mosque if there is a need, but they cannot remain therein without wudu. It is a recommended sunnah to make ghusl if one, wash, some, one washes a dead body, two, one regains their intellect after losing their sanity, and three, one regains their consciousness and they haven't had a wet dream during that period. A complete ghusl comprises of making the intention, then saying Bismillah, washing the hands three times as well as other impure parts, then making wudu, then pouring water over the head three times, ensuring it wets right through, then pouring water over the head three times, uh, sorry, then pouring water over the body completely three times, rubbing clean the entire body, starting on the right hand side first, and washing the feet in a different place. And finally, it is sufficient, however, for the ghusl to number one, just make the intention, then say Bismillah and wash the entire body just once. One should make their wudu with a mud of water and make their ghusl with a sa'a. 
If one washes with less than these amounts, or one intends the lifting of both states of ritual impurity, minor and major, at the same time, then that is sufficient. It is a recommended sunnah for the sexually impure one to wash his private parts and make wudu before, number one, he eats, number two, he sleeps, and number three, he repeats, or she repeats, intercourse. That is the entire chapter of Kitab al-Ghusl. Obviously, if you've been trying to write it down, that would have been impossible, I think, yeah? But don't, but don't worry about that, because we'll be spending the next few weeks covering this, and um, uh, you will see, as I said, by the time you get home, the full notes and translation will be on the portal for everyone on logicalprogression.org. Now, um, because you guys maybe are obviously not used to this lesson, I should say that um, the students of the LP are very used to speaking very frankly about these things. There's lots of sensitive matters here and people are like, oh my God, and maybe, you know, some of the Malaysian ears are going red, yeah? <laughs> and it's all kind of burning, right? And also we have young children here and, and so on. And the, the conversation will get actually quite explicit. So I don't know, it might be an idea. It might be an idea for uh, the young ones to maybe have some fun outside in the in the in the hall. What would you what do you guys reckon? Yeah. I think so. Razali? Hook it up. If you guys don't mind following Uncle Razali here, yeah? Sure. Yes? We don't have Ihsan Juniors here. Uh, we don't have a what? Ihsan Juniors. We don't arrange for tonight. No, no Ihsan Juniors. So. Yes, exactly. You can see what it's like. Yeah. How about that? Huh? Sister Fatih has been running it for how long? Oh. Yeah? So maybe Yani Amar will not try out because he loves he loves taking all the pictures and spreading all the pictures and saying Ihsan Juniors is the greatest in the world. Well, we know that. The question is, do you know that Amar? Huh? So, if you guys would just like to follow this, the strange-looking one here, okay? This one in the in the in the in the strange-looking shirt. This one, yeah. Yes, yeah. If you guys go with him, he'll look after you. He'll get you sweets. He'll get you drinks. Yeah, whatever you guys want. <laughs> no KFC, come on, Miskin, leave him alone, man. But let him enjoy himself at least. Well done, boys. Come back in an hour time, inshallah. Then we then we then we then we do all the kids stuff. Yeah. I should have I should have pre pre planned that. I should have pre planned that. But uh, yeah yeah you you'll have a friend. Don't worry, you'll have a friend. There's a friend there. Don't worry. No, just <laughs> not. Okay, خلاص. Hopefully you will understand. Okay. So let's start from the beginning, inshallah. Bab al Ghusl. All right. Um, and Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar al-Shanqit alayhi rahmatullah and hafidhahullah ta'ala he um, starts off straight away by explaining that ghusl, the word itself it actually just means to pour water over uh, something okay uh, the, to do ghusl of something is to pour water over something without having to touch it just pour water over it and you've washed it okay as for the technical meaning of ghusl, in order to establish the actual meaning from a, a sharia point of view it is ta'mimul badan bil ma it is to completely cover the body with water with a very specific niyyah 
So that specific niyyah, and that's a very good and accurate translation uh, uh, definition because a ghusl we do for different reasons. Sometimes we do a ghusl because we're hot, sometimes, but we wouldn't call it a ghusl, right? And sometimes we do a ghusl for Jum'ah and we expect to be rewarded for that. So the niyyah would be separate for that. And then sometimes we do a ghusl to lift the janaba, which is the most normal one. And then that would be have need to have a specific intention. Of course, these are all things that we're going to be covering uh, as we, as we, as we uh, uh, go along. And obviously, obviously, um, the niyyah is a very important aspect. And if a person, and the reason that we talk about this, about the intention, is that especially in hot countries, like especially like in Malaysia, for example, you might come in and you're hot anyway, right? And you're going to go in and just shower automatically because it's hot regularly one or two times a day. And you also have a Sharia reason to make a shower, okay? I'm calling it a shower, modern day ghusl, calling it a shower. And you have that reason and you go in and you're mentally not kind of focused. And so you go in actually thinking beforehand that this is going to be for the reason like Janaba or, or Jumaa or whatever. But in actual fact, by the time you get in and you're getting hotter and hotter and hotter, your mind is completely dominated by the fact that I'm washing to clean myself. I'm washing to cool myself down. And so the niyyah, of course, is very, very important. Now, this is according to the majority of the scholars. In Hanafi school, the niyyah is not a condition. In the Hanafi school, the niyyah is not actually a condition for lifting the state of hadith. Remember hadith, what is hadith? It's a state of ritual impurity. So it's not physical impurity, it's being in this impure state that requires you to do wudu. So you have hadith al-asghar, hadith al-akbar. If you are hadith al-asghar, for example, if one person passes wind or wakes up from sleep, then they are in a state called hadith al-asghar, a minor state of ritual impurity, by which they do the minor uh, purification, wudu, and then they have lifted that state, that spiritual state of impurity. Or you are in hadith al-akbar, which is like janaba, sexual impurity. That's a major impurity and it requires the major tahara, which is what we're doing, the ghusl itself. Okay, so Shaykh Uthameen, alayhi rahmatullah, he starts off by saying that um, the, the author says, mujibul ghusl, what obligates the ghusl. The word mujib can actually be stated as mujab and mujib in the Arabic language. For mujib al-ghusl, it is defined as those things which obligate the action itself. The action here is ghusl. So we are looking at those things which obligate the ghusl. The first of these things which obligates ghusl is the ejaculation. Actually, the word is khuruj, okay? The word, so I should translate it really as the exit, okay? The exiting of mani, al-mani. Now we're going to be, not in this chapter, the author actually, and this happens quite often, where a person um, uh, will talk about a subject using a very important word, but the word and its uh, similar, similar kind of words is defined later on in fiqh. So classically we're talking about mani, okay? Now mani being sperm is actually a confusing concept because it gets mixed up with Al-Madi, and it gets mixed up with Al-Wadi, and it gets mixed up with other female discharges, etc, etc. So normal female discharge, for example, which women are always asking about. And then men, mostly about sperm. And then men, again, 
mostly with madi, which is prostatic fluid. And then wadi, which is somewhere in between. And then anything else, bleeding and so on. And then urine and the rulings. So this actually has a separate chapter. But because we are doing ghusl, you can't teach the book of ghusl without actually mentioning what mani is. And he can't spend the time now, the author, to be talking about mani because that's going to have its own section. So remember this system, that there's always going to be this kind of mentioning of a concept before the time actually comes. Another question uh, which you might have is that why are we actually um, doing ghusl after the uh, wudu? Because surely, as we said, that uh, ghusl is the major purification, the major one. So major that actually if you do it, you actually encompass the the small one as well. Uh, And we're doing that after we're doing the first one. After after, uh, wudu. We've just spent the last literally two years covering wudu, can you believe? Two whole years, right? Just doing water and purification and dirtiness and najasa and now we just finished wudu and wiping the socks and all such lots of detail. And now we've got to ghusl. And ghusl is the major one. And the answer to that, there's two reasons for that. The first reason is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself, the ulama, fuqaha and muhaddithin, the scholars which you can divide generally into muhaddithin and fuqaha. So when they open their books, when they write their books, the fuqaha, the, the jurists, like you can see here, when they write their texts, they put wudu first and then ghusl afterwards. And when you look at the muhaddithin and their collections of hadith, you know like Bukhari or the Sunan Abu Dawood, they also put the chapters of wudu first before ghusl. And the reason they do that is only because they want to copy Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because in Surah Al-Ma'idah, in the ayah of Surah Al-Ma'idah of Ghusl, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says that if you stand for prayer, then purify yourselves, and then wash your hands, and then wash your face, and then your hands, and so on. And then at the end of the ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says that if you are junuban, okay, if you are in a state of janaba, then make the bath. So the ghusl is at the end of the ayah. So they follow this order. So they say we trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the textual kind of close your mind reasoning. The second reason, which is more ugly, more open your mind and let me think about it, is the common sense one. We might do ghusl once a day, and some people only do once a week. And that's the reality depending upon where you live and water availability, whatever. Whereas wudu, many times a day. Many times a day. So obviously because of the many times that we do wudu and how important it is for us on a day-to-day basis, the way that we break it so easily and have to do it so easily, you need to know that much more importantly than the ghusl itself. So this is like an ugly reason. So that's why you may be thinking, why is it that ghusl has come now after wudu? Okay, so the first one is then the exiting of mani. Mani is sperm. And we're going to talk about that in a second. And not only is it the exiting, but it has to exit in a specific way. How did he translate it? He said, difqan, uh, difqan, and some said dafqan, but difqan is more accurate. You will see in your notes, it says daf, uh, when you get your notes. Also put a little kasra underneath it to make it diff. Many words can be said in this kind of manner, but difqan is better. Um, it not only comes, uh, not just the exiting of sperm, but difqan and biladha. Two conditions have been mentioned. In spurts, spurting, meaning that it comes out with force, and it comes out with pleasure, with a sensation which is a pleasurable, a happy sensation, a pleasurable sensation. Now, that therefore made me change the word 
uh, uh, exiting of sperm to ejaculation. The word ejaculation describes this concept more technically. All right. Now, why is what is the evidence for that? What is okay, apologies for that little brief interruption. The phone call Yani has uh, just cut off the video, but we're back again, inshallah. And alhamdulillah, the video is still there, the, the original one. That's good. Um, so, what was I? Evidence. Yes, the evidence. So the evidence for why um, the it's not just the exiting of of money, but it has to exit in this manner and it breaking the uh, person's wudu and requiring a ghusl. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in that same Surah Al-Ma'idah وَإِن كُنْتُمْ جُنُوبًا فَاتَّهَّرُوا And if you become in a state of janaba, you are junub, then purify yourselves. What is junub? It is when, when money comes out of someone in spurts with pleasure. That's actually what janaba is. Okay? When it is ejaculated sperm um in in uh uh and I, you know what it is i don't like to call it sperm because a uh, sperm makes it almost exclusively like male semen and i should have i should have translated it as semen i don't know why i've been thinking sperm semen it should be semen okay because of course women might think they never have to make ghusl ever again yeah <laughs> right <laughs> yeah but obviously it is applying to both yes so that's a mistake it should be semen 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 i should i, th I think i'll need to edit the notes I'll, I'll get that edited for next week sperm is it just makes it male specific the reason actually i know why because the entire chapter is written with a male in mind okay everything is he does this he washes that he you know he does this and so i'm just uh, uh, I, put, I put sperm in semen so it the semen it is exited in spurts okay and not meaning not just flowing it has to spurt and it is it, it is uh, uh, accompanied with pleasure that pleasure is generally the orgasm generally the orgasm okay um, but it's not a condition it has to be orgasm in its technical sense but pleasure is the point that's that's at hand the second evidence is the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, which is narrated in Muslim in the chapter of menstruation, where the Prophet ﷺ said, Al-ma'u min al-ma' that water is based upon water. Water is based upon water. You can translate literally and say water is from water. You can say that as well, but it doesn't make more sense. Not to say that water is based upon water makes any sense either. But what does this hadith actually mean? المراد بمال أول مال غسل عبر به عنه. Water is from water. Water is based upon water. Let's translate it like that. Water is based upon water. The first water is referring to the water of غسل, and the second water is referring to the semen itself. So it's the hadith basically is response of the Prophet ﷺ to his wife when she asked him, "Is is it you know when we see that kind of dream, do we do that as well?" Yeah, and it, at, at, at what point do we actually also uh, uh, take the bath? And he said that water is based upon water, i.e. you will wash yourself with water if you see the presence of that water. So that water coming out is what's going to obligate the ghusl. That's why it is the first obligatory thing. It's the first obligator, if there is such a word, of ghusl. Okay, now... 
What's interesting is that if you look at this hadith, al-ma' min al-ma', all right, water is based upon water. Does it mention difq, uh, difqan or ladha? Does it mention the nature of how the water needs to come out? It doesn't, does it? It doesn't mention that it has to be in spurts and it has to be with pleasure. And in actual fact, if you read this hadith in a kind of literal way, it would suggest that that's not a condition. It's not necessary. And that is why your Imam, Imam al-Shafi'i alayhi rahmatullah, he is the one who said that actually, he gave you a big mission by the way. He, got, he, put, he put you guys in a big problem here, all right? Technically, theoretically, put you in a problem. Because for him, it is not a condition based upon this hadith and a few other reasons, it is not a condition for him that sperm has to come out spurting and it ha or semen come out in spurts or with pleasure. Any presence of sperm obligates ghusl. Any if semen is seen anywhere at any time, it doesn't matter how it got there, but it came. It doesn't matter what the nature is, awake or sleep, coming, pleasure, not, orgasm, not, flowing, not, spurting, not, it's there, you have to make a ghusl. And he took that from the hadith itself because the hadith does not actually mention a, uh, the, the, the nature of how the semen got there. Um, and that has been stated by Imam al nawawi in his book Al-Majmu'ah. And as for the majority of the scholars, virtually everyone else, okay, then they conditioned, they said no, that it has to be the conditions of money making me do ghusl is that it has to be with difqan and biladha. That it has to be in that, uh, uh, that spurting way. By the way, you may think, uh, where does this come from? Where does the difq concept come from? Any, any ideas? You should all know the answer to this, but you... Think of a surah that you all know. Okay, go on then, give us the ayah. Uh, <laughs> okay, last verse is nearly there. Go on. Uh, What's the ayah before that? Uh, <laughs> That's the one after it. The ayah before it. Surah Tariq, man, this is. Easy, got easy for you guys. Come on. Okay, say it again. فَلْيَنْظُرْ الْإِنسَانُ مِمَّا خُلِقُ Let the people look to see where they really came from, to what they were created from. Then, خُلِقَ مِمَّاءٍ دَافِقُ Okay. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, let the people look yani, to where they come from. They're giving it all this kind of, you know, bigging themselves up, thinking they're special. We are the ones who created. We are the ones who are in control. There's no such thing as God. You didn't do anything. What's your point of your message? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, let the people have a look to where they actually came from. They were created from a spurting fluid. Yani, not even like a flowing smooth one. Just yani, one which just comes out in this kind of manner. Like a, it's a slap down, you know? for the people of Kibar and, and so on and so forth. So this is where the word difq comes from and that is why the ulama, they consider it a condition, the majority, that the sperm itself has to come out in this manner. Now, that's a textual evidence. 
Practically speaking, of course, those who are married will know very much, uh, very clearly, that there's a massive difference between the exiting of something and the exiting of sperm that actually obligates the ghusl. And that is where, where the nature of the obligation comes from. Now, Sheikh Uthameen, uh, he said, some of the scholars said that you don't need to mention the word difq. You don't need to say spurting and pleasure is enough. And the reason for that is a semantic reason. They said it's not possible to enjoy the or feel pleasure at the ejaculation of sperm, except that it's actually going to be spurting anyway. So it's a semantic one. And these are scholars always having these, these, these discussions in order to reduce the number of words they have to write. Because these texts are tiny. They're only small little you know, phrases. And the more they can cut down, cut down, cut down, then it just makes it easier for people to memorize. Because when it comes to explanation, it's going to take ages to explain anyway, regardless. But when it comes to memorize, if we can cut it down, then here, if we can take difqan out and just leave leather, the pleasure, then we know that pleasure is not going to happen except that it comes with the difq. And But anyway, as Sheikh Uthameen, he says, but to mention the difq is better and more deserving so that it can uh, marry up to the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala verse number five and six therefore Sheikh Uthameen says that if and this is the class position okay this is my position if uh, 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 sperm semen is ejaculated without any kind of pleasure while someone is awake this is all, by the way, everything that we're talking about now is about someone being awake. There's a whole separate ruling for when someone's asleep, okay? So when someone is awake, if sperm semen is ejaculated, male or female, and there is no pleasure, there is no feeling of pleasure, no pleasurable feeling, no orgasmic feeling, then this does not obligate ghusl according to what the author says according to what the majority of the scholars say and that is the correct position and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best okay um, uh, and also uh, Sheikh Uthameen he goes that um, well, let's talk about semen itself semen itself and now specifically he's actually talking about sperm alright sperm he said sperm itself many <coughs> in a technical sense has three very clear uh, uh, characteristics he goes, the first one is that it, when it comes out, it comes out in spurts, in this kind of manner. The second is its smell. The second is its smell. I will add to this as well, that its color and its, its, uh, uh, its, color and its consistency. So the ulama, they mentioned that um, in the second kind of physical, the, fir the, the, the first one was its nature. The second one is its physical. So physically speaking, it has a color and a consistency and a smell. So the, the, the male semen, sperm, is white in color, it is thick in consistency, and it has two smells depending upon whether it is wet or dry. If it is uh, dry, if it is dry, then it smells like egg, which I'm just going to have to take Yanis Sheikh Uthameen's opinion on that because I've got no idea, okay? All right? And if it is wet, then it smells like dough. Dough. The kind of like, like a, 
almost like a sour, not sour smell, but because the dough has got yeast added to it and it's not been baked. So it has a faint, the, smell, the smell of ajin, ajin, which is dough, untreated dough before, you know what dough is, yeah? What do you guys call it here? Dough. Dough. There we go. Dough and dough. And just copying us anyway. All right. So, uh, as for the female, as for the female semen, then it is in its consistency thin and its color is yellow. Or yellow on a transparent yellow. Yani, more yellower, if you like. All right. And that is its characteristic. The third characteristic of the uh, sperm so the first one was the way it comes out the second one was its physical nature the third is that once it exits there is a tiredness of the body what we call futur futur is that kind of emptiness that one feels when someone runs you know and they fully exert themselves and then they stop and they're breathing and they're catching their breath they're breathless and they feel very 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 tired lack of energy and so after the exiting after the exiting of sperm, this is actually one of its characteristics. And these things are very helpful, especially, and obviously I know that there are people here, mostly people who are mature and, and elderly, but this is important to teach, especially to, uh, actually a lot of this chapter is important to teach young children, young, when I say young children, I mean those that are young, who have just gone through puberty, and this is what's happening, don't teach the other kids, but I mean, I mean young lads and whatever. Um, so they can start getting used to the idea of making ghusl and so on. You know, a lot of people focus on teaching them how to pray and reading Quran and how to re recite correctly. But the actual uh, 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 conditions or the, the uh, prerequisites before you can pray and so on, people kind of, because of their shyness and because of their lack of knowledge, they don't talk about. And this is very important. It's, it's essential that your children, they know so they don't get confused and... I genuinely, I, 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 my personal, from a parenting point of view, I personally believe that the more aware a person is, the less likely they are to experiment with certain ideas and concepts. And the more you make it a taboo subject, the more you uh, don't talk about it, they're going to be forced to, because it's human nature, to go and ask elsewhere. Either they're going to find someone very nice and sensible to tell them, but the reality is most of the time it will be their own age who don't have the same kind of values or don't care about, you know, whatever, and they'll give them the haram version and then it's just the wrong direction. So it's important to empower children at that yani, time when they go through puberty to know exactly what's happening to their body, tell them to check themselves and see and understand what's happening and so on and so forth. I genuinely believe that that's, I know that's difficult. I know that's not going to be easy in any society, in any culture. Forget about a modest one like this, even in, even in uh, immodest ones like the other uh, kind of uh, uh, cultures uh, as well. Anyway, then the Sheikh says, La bidunihima, meaning it's very, very clear that again, almost emphasizing, and this is a little bit of humbly kind of uh, 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 politics going on, making it very, very clear again that if the sperm comes out and it doesn't come out with spurts, and it doesn't come out of pleasure, then there's no ghusl. And so he's repeating it again. And that's almost like, you know, a response to Shafi'i, who is very clearly kind of saying, no, if it comes out, it comes out. I just want to say, by the way, practically speaking, practically speaking, um, there's actually little difference between the Shafi'i position and the majority. Because sperm doesn't come out during the daytime unless that there is some kind of, as I said, a 
um, the, the spurting and sexual activity of some sort. And normally what will come out will be madhi, which is prostatic fluid. And so practically speaking, I don't think there's, there's much to debate about. But anyway, now, now we're talking, uh, the Sheikh says, this is min uh, ghayrinaim. This is all for the person who is awake. So what's that mean for the one who's asleep? What's that mean for the one who's asleep? What's the rulings for the one who's asleep? Because he's not going to explain. He's just going to move on. He just said for, for the na'im one, for the awake one. So what, are we, what do we need to add to make it clear that we need to talk about the sleeping as well? What do we need to understand from the sleeping point of view? No? Doesn't need to take ghusl? Okay. Any other, any other answers? Yep. Okay. So what? He's, he's not explaining it. He's not adding conditions. What do you think he's trying to say to you? Uh, no, okay. No, no. No, so far the answers aren't correct. They're good ideas, but yeah. Yep. Uh, and what happened to the so you're saying just for the sake of the video you're saying that if he wakes up and he sees the sperm or semen then he has to take ghusl otherwise he doesn't what about the conditions that we just talked about so he's sleeping so what he's not aware of what's happening that's the difference right that's exactly right because he's sleeping, he's not going to be aware whether something comes out in spurts or whether it comes out in uh, with pleasure or not. Unless, of course, he is having what we, what we call the hilm, yani a wet dream. And a wet dream is a, obviously is something that one sees which causes sexual pleasure in the dream itself. And a person might in the dream itself be ejaculating or wake up as a result or nothing at all and so therefore the scholars then and this is really useful actually they created a, a scenario and a list of the possible states that a person can be in when they wake up okay so obviously the first one when you wake up if you see nothing then it's just everything everything is normal okay if you see nothing then everything is normal the second state is that if you see some kind of fluid if you see some kind of fluid, you are not sure now whether it is mani or is it is madhi. It, you don't know whether it is sperm or whether it is prostatic fluid. What do we know about the ruling of ghusl? That only what? Sperm or semen obligates the ghusl. Whereas madhi, which is pre-fluid, similar to the sperm, lighter in consistency and color it but, but but everything else virtually exactly the same it might come out and it does not obligate the ghusl i'm going to tell you something advanced i mentioned this last week okay i just want you to know something many sperm is a substance which is pure so if it was on your clothes okay and you could actually pray because it's a pure substance. But if it comes out of the body, like we said, it obligates ghusl. Is that clear, everybody? Okay? Madhi is the exact opposite. 
Madhi is that fluid which comes out before at the thought of sexual activity or excitement or whatever, but it is, doesn't come out in spurts, doesn't come out thick, doesn't come out with pleasure. It's a thinner fluid. It's called prostatic fluid. And that madhi is a nejas substance. It is nejas. It is dirty. Whatever is, it is on, it needs to be washed. But it itself coming out doesn't obligate ghusl. Does that make sense? So it has, they're, they're exactly opposite in their characteristics. So the question is, if you see fluid when you wake up, this is second scenario, and you don't know whether it is madhi or mani, what should you assume? What do you think? You could maybe check, yes, but you can't. Let's say you check and you can't ascertain. You look at everything that to do with, because we've described the physical characteristics, yes? All right? If you're not sure, maybe, I, maybe in fairness, I should just go to number two and make number two, second scenario. You wake up and there's sperm there. If it's semen and you recognize it by its consistency, by its smell, by everything, then you have to make ghusl. That's the main thing you learn, okay? That's the main lesson in this chapter. The scenario number two, if you wake up and it's there, it doesn't matter whether you see it, saw it, felt it, realized it, not. If it's there, it's proof that it happened. And therefore you have to make ghusl. Scenario three is that you wake up and there's something there and you look at it and you smell and this and check. You can't tell whether it's sperm. You can't tell whether it's prostatic fluid. Many or madhi. What do we do? So it is better to perform ghusl. That answer there's no doubt about. But that's not the answer of fiqh. That's the answer of taqwa. Yes? Isn't it? That's a person being on a safe side because there's some doubt in the issue. So he goes and makes it and thinks, yeah, that's fine. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But what about the ruling? What about the ruling? What do you think about the ruling? He would clean it up and make wudu. Why? Correct. Correct. There's no sign or proof that something happened in the sleep. He can't remember anything. He can't remember a wet dream. He can't remember any kind of happening in the nighttime and just seeing that. And that is the, that is the, normal, the normal scenario. It, the normal human scenario is that they don't ejaculate in their sleep. The normal human scenario is that actually prostatic fluid will come out. Okay. Or wadi will come out. Whereas there needs to be something that will cause the sperm to come out. So it's when you need something to occur something, then we need that evidence. In the absence of that evidence, we go to the default. The default will be madhi. Therefore, as uh, 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 we just heard, you would actually clean the area because then the ruling is given like it is urine. It's like urine came out. If urine came out, what would you do? You would obviously clean the urine, wash the uh, part from your clothes and from your body, and you wouldn't make ghusl. You would just do istinja and make your wudu and you carry on as normal. So others, other, other uh, uh, scenarios. Um, if he is absolutely sure that it is not uh, money, okay, absolutely sure, then that's the one we just described. Then he just carries on. The first, the, 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 the um, another scenario, which another scenario can we think of? Um, okay, there's another scenario. That uh, Sheikh Muhammad Shankiti uh, said that a person he wakes up, he goes to sleep a lot. He goes to sleep a lot. Okay, and so he wakes up at Fajr time, 
and he makes a wudu and then he goes and prays fajr and then he goes back to sleep again and then he wakes up and as he wakes up for dhuhr he checks and he sees that there is sperm there so he makes ghusl and then he prays dhuhr the question is now does he have to repeat fajr so two sleeps two prayers he only saw the semen before Dhuhr. What do you think? No? Why not? If you didn't know the act, then it's not to be accounted for. Okay, that's possible. What's your thoughts? And that possibility is the is the is is the I didn't hear what you said. That possibility that happens in a second sleep is the most likely. We can if if we look at it from our point of view of the last week's lesson, the one thing that there's there's two things there's two possibilities here. One which is certain, and one which is doubtful. The certain one is that something happened before Dhuhr. The doubtful one is that it happened before Fajr. And one should rule on the certain one and not on the doubtful one. So the certain one is that we've just come off this now. And so I will now make ghusl and I will do now dhuhr. As for Fajr, there's no proof. There's no reason combining the idea that you mentioned. And therefore, that's the correct ruling. He would not need to repeat Fajr. And he's done his dhuhr and that's okay. Okay, the next statement then. Is everyone clear with that? Yeah, that entire that entire kind of part. Then the next part that he says, what This is an interesting one. Okay, this is something which the Hanbali Madhab is specific about. If one feels the sperm moving but it doesn't exit, one still takes a bath because of that. Okay, so what is this meaning? He's meaning that that when the sperm itself, something of sexual excitement or whatever, causes for him or her, the feeling, and specifically here, it is obviously the male, which is the more obvious one to, to understand and to visualize, that if the male actually feels the, the coming of sperm and it does not come out, but he feels the movement as if it's going to come, but it doesn't come out, according to the Hanbali Madhab, you have to make ghusl. It's the same thing. Because for them, the janaba started once it left its origin, once the once the the action started, then the janaba basically came into play. Okay, Sheikh Uthameen goes: Is it even possible that a person uh, that, that 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 sperm or semen could move without coming out? Yeah, this is what he says. Now, he he then says, um, he goes, and this is some interesting things that Sheikh Uthameen here says. He goes: Yes, it's possible. He goes, and that's by basically stopping the uh, desire by any kind of means after it has started. Okay, 
He goes, whatever a person could do, physical, medicinal, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I'm sure doctors would know something else as well. Then there must be ways of actually the initiation of sperm coming and then the stopping of it actually coming out. And he said that the fuqaha, they gave an example. They said that if a man was to take his penis and to squeeze it so that no sperm come out, he goes, then that would that would be one classic example. And the Sheikh goes here, وَإِن مَثَّلَ بِهَا الْفُقَهَا فَإِنَّهُ مُضِرٌ جِدَّا وَالْفُقَهَا رَحِمَهُمُ اللَّهِ يُمَثِّلُونَ بِشَيْءٍ لِتَصْوِيرِ بِقَطْعِ نَذَرِ عَنْ دَرَرِهِ أَوْ عَدْمِ دَرَرِهِ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْغَالِبِ فِي مِثْلِ هَذَا I like this statement. He goes, and let's just make a quick statement, he says. He goes, the fuqaha, the scholars, they're going to give some crazy examples out there. And, you know, some of these examples will be very, very harmful. Because the scholars, they give examples, They don't give examples caring about the political correctness of the example or the painful or the non-painful of the example. They give examples so people understand the issue. Because if you think holding the penis to stop sperm coming out is bad, then you're going to see what he's going to say in a minute. He's going to give the example of anal intercourse and he's going to give an example of intercourse with an animal and a dead woman. You know, the mind doesn't even imagine that anyone would find something like that in a book of religious text or fiqh. But the point is, is that Fiqh is obviously a, an expression of the people's needs. And the people are sick. You know what I'm saying? The people are crazy. Yani they're, they're absolutely yani polluted. And they do things. And when people do crazy things, you have to account for everything. You have to literally account for everything. So that's just the nature. Anyway, Sheikh says that even, he goes, and even frankly, he goes, and even I want to say what the fuqaha said about holding the penis so that it doesn't come out. He goes, once it let goes, it's going to come out anyway. So how long is it going to hold it for? Okay. So, <laughs> so you know, he goes, so I don't even know what the point of that is. He goes, uh, some of the ulama said that there is no ghusl if a person uh, uh, feels movement of the sperm and doesn't come out. Okay. And that is the position of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. And that is also the position of Sheikh Uthameen. And it is the class position as well. The class position is opposite to the Hanbali position. And that is that if nothing comes out, nothing is obligated. What's our proof? Number one, the one hadith we've already covered. The hadith of Umm Salama, uh, radiallahu anha. Uh, actually, we haven't covered this one, beg your pardon. Uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, um, when, uh, when, she, when he was asked by Umm Salama, does the woman have to do the same thing as well? He said to her, Naam, إِذَا هِيَ رَأَتِ الْمَاءِ Yes, if she sees the water. If she sees the water. So therefore, what does that mean? If she doesn't see the water, then there is no uh, ghusl. And, and he didn't say, the Prophet ﷺ said, oh, He didn't say, if she sees the water or feels it moving. He just said, if she sees the water. It doesn't say that it had to move or not move or this or that, whatever. And, and, and this is an important point, principle. If it was because of just movement, the Prophet ﷺ would have had to have said it. Why? Because Umm Salama asked about it specifically. She asked specifically, when does a woman have to do this? And he said, when she sees the water. 
And if it was when it was moving, who would have to say it? Yeah, it would have to say it. Okay? And then the hadith that we covered before, hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, the Prophet ﷺ said, in al min al that water is based upon water. And so here you don't see any water, so we're not going to then pour water upon ourselves because no water came out. Yes? And then the other thing is, the, number three, is that the basic principle, and al-aslu baqa'u tahara, that the original principle is that purity continues. So once we've not seen anything to actually break the purity, the state of purification, then we cannot um, uh, obligate for it. And then he says, فَإِنْ خَرَجَ بَعْدَهُ لَمْ يُعِدْهُ This is now following the Hanbali line. Remember the Hanbalis have said that if it moves, okay, you have to make ghusl. Okay, what does the text say in English? If the sperm exits, sorry, if one feels the sperm moving but it doesn't exit, one still takes a bath because of it. And then they finished off this point and they said, but if the sperm exits afterwards, it is ignored. So afterwards, like remember they said that we're going to make ghusl if it doesn't come out because we felt it moving. Then they make ghusl. Then afterwards it comes out. What do the Hanbalis say you got to do? They said you don't need to make it again. That's basically what the, the point is. And why is it that they said that? They said that because the reason for the ghusl is the same same reason. The same the reason for the ghusl was the same sperm. Whether it came out afterwards or not, whatever, it's all part of the same action. And so the sabab is wahid. And so therefore, there's no need. And then uh, 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 secondly, and this is a technical point, if it comes out afterwards, how will it be coming out? It won't be coming out spurting, and it won't be coming out with pleasure, will it? It will be basically the remainder of what's already started. And so therefore, according to their own conditions, it isn't a proper one. Sheikh Uthameen makes a point. He goes, of course, however, if in between the ghusl that he makes for that, there was another sexual activity and it's a new ejaculation, then of course there has to be a new ghusl, a new ghusl. So this final point is more specifically for them. Um, how long have this lesson been now? This has been about, 50, I think exactly 50 minutes. Yeah. So the next section, um, well, do you want to take the number two, or should we just do Q and A now on on this? Because this one's quite a big one. Well, why don't we start this one, and then maybe we'll finish, we'll finish it off. Okay. So number two. So the second thing, which is obligating, what the ghibu hashafati asliya. Okay. And this is, this is obviously a bit crazy as well. The second thing which obligates ghusl is the glands of the penis completely penetrating a normal vagina or anus, even that of an animal or a deceased one. So there's so many things happening here, I don't even know where to start, okay? Right? So let's start from the top, okay? The glands. The glands meaning the head, okay? This is the glands, al-hashafa, meaning the head of the penis. And I say head and I show my fingers like this because the ulama said, and this does happen of course, that if someone has an amputated or mutilated penis, if you can imagine that, then the ruling is based upon distance. Because there wouldn't be a head anymore. You see? So it would have to be the height of the head. Can you believe the kind of DLs the fuqaha go into? <laughs> My God. 
I get stuck with all the great stuff, man. They could have given me the heart and let's talk about love and let's talk about, let's talk about, I don't know, Tazkiyah, whatever. And relationships and transformation and, and I get all this bakwas. Right, okay. So, um, so talking about the glands, yes. And, not, and he also said in Arabic, وَتَغِيبُ حَشَفَةٍ أَصْلِيَّةٍ He didn't just say the glands of a penis, he said the glands of a asli penis. <laughs> Which is like a, a proper penis, right? An original one. Now obviously, if this is your first time in this lesson, you're going to be thinking, what the hell is going on? Okay? But for those who have went through the pain of the last six weeks, Okay, when we were talking about hermaphrodites, okay, then you'll know that this is a follow-on from the chapter of, of wudu and the, the invalidators of wudu. There are things out there, people will be thinking they never even knew they existed. They are hermaphrodites. These are multi-genital, meaning that they have both sexual organs. Okay, and so when you have both sexual organs, you have a vagina and a penis. Now here, in this scenario, because you are not what, what they call sexually differentiated into a clear gender, male or female, and you have both organs, then both are not seen as asl, asli. And that is why the wording in, in this entire chapter is the glands of an original penis completely penetrating a normal vagina. So we're talking, therefore, if a hermaphrodite had, and, and we're talking about al-khuntha al-mushkil, for those who are covering the text, the Arabic term is al-khuntha al-mushkil, meaning the hermaphrodite that we cannot work out whether he's a man or a woman. You know what we said before earlier on that the scholars, and by the way, even medical science can't make this very clear because they do an early test. Because imagine the child is born and, and, and then it's not very clear and then it, then it goes later on, it's not very clear. They do a test to see how many chromosomes, which one is it dominant, yani male or female, still not very, very clear. And then they basically say, let the child develop and see what kind of characteristics it takes. And then if it moves in a certain direction that is more male or female, then we'll have an operation that will remove the extra one. And then maybe we'll give you know, supplementary hormone therapy to make it more stronger in that particular uh, uh, chosen gender. Um, now that's today, and even today they're not very clear on how it can be done. So imagine back in a time without all of that kind of thing. So they'd have to use physical things. So they would say, when they see that, they'll say, well just let it grow and let a person develop and see what happens. And then it would happen and they wouldn't be going in this camp or going in that camp. Then they would say, let's watch it urinate. And where it urinates from is where we're going to put the ruling. So if it urinates from the female, from the vagina, then it goes vagina. If it urinates from the penis, it goes... So obviously I'm not going to repeat that again. It's all there on the logical progression portal. You can go and see all the videos there and enjoy yourself. Yeah, any that yani mind-numbing <laughs> discussions for two weeks that we did. So we're talking about here now that if there was such a hermaphrodite and it was their penis which penetrated into a, uh, uh, a normal or not, uh, or a normal man or woman penetrating into a hermaphrodite vagina, okay, then both are not original. And according therefore to the scholars, and this is actually the majority position, the Hanbalis have stated it, but it's the majority position, this would not obligate ghusl. That's the only point you need to know. That if, if there is intercourse involved with the hermaphrodite, then because the organs are not original organs, then ghusl is not 
achieve. Is that done and dusted? Can we not now talk about that ever again? Okay then. So let's now talk about a normal man and normal woman. So if we have then a, um, a man, uh, then it is the head of the penis. Okay. Um, if he, and the, the point, and this is the most important point that you'll learn of, of, of tonight, because a lot of people don't know this. If there is intercourse uh, between a man and a woman, intercourse does not, um, according to people's minds, intercourse is the complete penetration of the entire penis. Number one, you've just learned it isn't. It is just the head, okay? And that's the most important thing you've learned. The second most important thing you will learn is that it is not necessary for there to be ejaculation. People think that if there is no ejaculation done, then there doesn't need to be a ghusl. So a person could enter and then come out and therefore nothing happened at all. And they say, right, well, there's no need to do any ghusl because nothing happened. I didn't feel anything. I didn't get the pleasure of sexual intercourse. There was no fluids involved, etc., etc., etc. You get what I'm saying? And so therefore, they wouldn't make ghusl. This is wrong. You might say, where does this come from? Well, actually, it comes from the Quran and Sunnah. Actually, because we know at the beginning of Islam, at the beginning of Islam, the Prophet ﷺ didn't obligate upon the companions to make ghusl when they had intercourse without ejaculation. So they would have intercourse without ejaculation, and the Prophet ﷺ would tell them what? And all these hadith are authentic. You'll find them all there in the Sunnah. And they would tell them to wash the private, Prophet ﷺ said, wash the private parts, and make wudu. Wash the private parts and make wudu. No ghusl. And this was in the beginning, whilst they're getting used to everything and so on, the new rulings. And then later on then, it became that the Prophet ﷺ said that, um, and we, we can talk about the hadith uh, here, the Prophet ﷺ said, إِذَا جَلَسَ بَيْنَ الشُّعَبِهَا الْأَرْبَعَةَ ثُمَّ جَهَدَهَا فَقَدْ وَجَبَ الْغُسْلِ Narrated by Bukhari and Muslim, the hadith of Abu Huraira, the Prophet ﷺ said that if he sits on her four parts and then enters her, then it is... This announcement to parents, uh, Abang is bringing all their kids to KFC. <laughs> You're clapping, that's got to be the worst entrance in the history of entrances. Can you just, yeah, just for, the, for, the, for the sake of video history, this is what... This is, <laughs> This is who just walked in at the stage of Amar. What kind of? Just tell me. Did you not think? It's out of control. It's out of control. Yeah. It's out of control. You should have checked there. What did you hear, by the way? I didn't hear anything. Good man. I just came down. Well done, Achi. Well done. Jazakallah khair. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, the parents. I'm going to bring them to a drive through KFC. Wait, 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 wait. We're finishing. If 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 guys want that, that's fine. But we're we're now done in two minutes. Okay. Really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Then. Okay. Guys, no KFC. Don't blame me. I'm just. Come on, man, that's enough, man, in the scheme. Spent the whole hour out there, man. You know, he'd rather be in here. All right, anyway. So, hum, what a hadith to walk into, man. <laughs> Unbelievable. This is the most ajeeb lesson in the history of LP. I don't know, customer, I don't know what's happening. Okay, let's start again. Wallah, I was reading the hadith and I said, what's what? 
the Prophet said that if he sits on between her four parts, four parts are talking about the two uncircumcised parts, double, and they meet, and then he enters her, enters her, and then the ghusl has been obligated. So no mention of any inzal. Inzal is the actual word for ejaculation. Okay, inzal. So there is no ejaculation of, there's no, there's no, no mentioning her fluid, that fluid, just purely the entering, purely the touching. That's why the four parts have been mentioned. Talking about the thighs and his thighs, two thighs and her thighs and the entering has happened. That's it. It doesn't matter whether there's any uh, and and, in, and that's narrated by Bukhari Muslim. In the narration of Muslim, there's an extra ziyada in the text. Even if there is no ejaculation. So it's very clear. It's very, very clear. And many people are not aware of this, but it's very, very, very clear. And many uh, uh, partners, married partners are doing this and they don't make thing. And this is a huge mistake. I want to just mention something historically. I told you, isn't it, that at the beginning of Islam, this is what they used to do, and there was no problem. And then this hadith came, and then it made it very, very clear. And it was amongst the companions, this was a difference of opinion. In fact, after the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the companions still differed over this. After the Prophet ﷺ passed away, they still differed over this. Ubay bin Kaab, from the senior, uh, senior companions, he considered that a, a person that doesn't have the... Uh, 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 meaning that... If a person has intercourse without any ejaculation, they have to make ghusl. And Sayyidina Umar didn't know. Sayyidina Umar didn't know. When the issue was brought to him, in my opinion, he was also following Ubay bin Kaab. But when he heard a few voices in the, amongst his companions saying, no, no, it's changed. Trust me, the ruling has changed. Because that's quite normal. The companions, I mean, I mean look, right? You ask, you ask once about a question, don't you? You don't expect it to change. So for example, KFC, right? If, uh, just using that as an example. They launch here, it's an American company, yes? And it's uh, considered to be American, therefore haram. And therefore, at the, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mean haram because American. I mean haram because it's obviously non, non, not halal, I mean, yeah? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah? I mean in terms of their meat, yes? So it comes here and it launches a very big PR campaign saying, we are Malaysian KFC, we use only Malaysian meat, we are halal. Yeah? Yeah, what's wrong with Malaysian halal meat? There might be Malaysian uh, haram meat for Chinese. You think of that, did ya? Yes, right. So, so they've got the, so they've got, uh, so, so they have to now make a big kind of PR campaign and they set the procedure up and now the whole world knows it's halal. Yes? Everyone who comes to Malaysia, they would eat KFC knowing it's halal. Okay, you don't expect to have to go back to KFC five years later, ten years later, and ask the same question again. By the way, since the last time I came in, has the ruling changed? <laughs> you wouldn't, would you? So the same. So the companions at the beginning of Islam, when they're speaking to the Prophet they're getting all their facts. Okay, we're Muslim now. So what does this mean being Muslim? What do we do? How do we pray? How do we do this? How about relations? How about drink? How about this? So they've asked and the Prophet has said, you wash and uh, no ghusl. And so they're not going to go back and ask. So Ubayd didn't go back and ask and Umar didn't go back and ask. And so they stayed upon the original ruling. Whereas other companions who did ask later got the later ruling, the abrogated ruling. So when, when the Prophet passed away, 
uh, Sayyidina Umar, um, he realized that there's some kind of wood. Hold on. I thought this was a clear-cut issue, but I can see some of the companions here telling me that, no, no, you have to make ghusl. So he said, uh, so he sent someone to um, Aisha. Uh, and I'll tell you the narration because it's very interesting actually what he said to her. He said to Aisha radiallahu anha, Yes, so he said, uh, da, 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 da. So just, I just want to just quote to you the hadith that exists on this issue, narrated by Bukhari and by Muslim, hadith Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, that a man from the Ansar was 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 going by no that's the only, that, that's something else the prophet sallallahu said that a man uh, uh, had intercourse and this is in, in sahil bukhari and sahih muslim you'll find it now he they had intercourse but there was no sperm there was no ejaculation the prophet sallallahu told him to make wudu like the wudu for salah and just to wash his private parts that's it wash your private parts and just make normal wudu and this as i said it was at the very very beginning of the of the uh, uh time and that's why the the, the scholars uh, uh uh differed over one another and so when uh, umar he heard about this he sent for um, 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 Aisha anha, and he when he asked her she said that once the circumcised part reaches the circumcised part then ghusl has become obligatory. Umar became then very angry, all right? And then he said, if I find out that any single person does not make ghusl after what has just been said, then they're gonna be punished. He was angry with himself, he's angry with the fact that he missed out on this, he's angry that he's not been following this, you know what I'm saying? So he's made it very, very clear now and he set the ruling out Aisha spoken, end of the matter. Anyone has any form of intercourse and there is no money, it doesn't matter. Intercourse is what's going to actually obligate the ghusl. And there's so many narrations actually. Abu Musa al-Ashri in the Motta of Malik, he went and he asked her and he said, I don't want to ask any question like this, but I, 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 wallahi, this is something, I'm very, very ashamed of this. I'm so ashamed to, to stand in front of you, but I have to ask you this question and then he asked her he goes a man he enter, has intercourse with his wife and he enters and he exits but there is no inzal there's no ejaculation and what happens she says as soon as the khita, the circumcised part enters the circumcised part then ghusl becomes obligatory regardless of any ejaculation Abu Musa al-Ash'ari said I will never in my life ask any single person this question after this day of me asking you. Yeah, and they had a big, big confidence in Aisha radiallahu anha. So I just wanted to get that in because, you know, maybe if you don't take LP again, at least you learn something beneficial. All right. That a person does not need to have ejaculation for ghusl to become obligatory. And then we'll do the rest uh, afterwards later. All the, the, the dirty stuff, which is the next lines front and back and animal and dead. I don't know what I'm going to do next week in Cheeto. I don't know what's happening. All my kids are going to be there. I'm going to have to, have to do some explaining beforehand. Okay, any questions on the actual 
topic of today, the, the issues of today. Um, yeah. I, I was once told that um, if a husband and wife uh, have intercourse, and if they want to have intercourse again, in between that they just have to do like a wudu. Correct. And that was the last line of the chapter. The last line of this particular chapter is that the Prophet is that, is that the, uh, the Hanbalis have said here in the text that it is recommended for a person who is in a state of Janaba before they eat again, before they, before they eat, sorry, or before they sleep, or before they repeat intercourse to actually make wudu and to wash their private parts. That's actually a sunnah. It was the sunnah of the Prophet to do that. Uh, but that's going to come in a probably couple of weeks, maybe two, three weeks time, inshallah. Any other questions on the subject itself? Yes. Say it again, sorry. Uh, in a state of Janaba. Uh, so we're going to come to that later, but just to answer the question, the majority of the ulama, and it's the correct position, uh, consider it to be prohibited to recite the Quran whilst in a state of Janaba. And I follow that position myself. It's certainly the safest in an area where there is some kind of modern day discussion, but it's certainly the safest position. Listening to the Quran, the problem with listening is that it is difficult to not make talaffuz when you're listening, when you come across something that you know. You know, practicing Muslims find it difficult, in my opinion. You really have to be far away from the Quran to not repeat something that you hear. Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq, you know when he used to go? And sometimes, you know, this is, this is uh, uh, some of us I think will have that experience. If he would go to the bathroom, he would put stone in his mouth. Like, you know, whatever, something to force him not to. And that was just, he wasn't hearing anything. That was because of his habit of making dhikr and Quran. To stop himself. Because, you know, when you're in a habit, you're, you don't realize what you're doing, where you are, and whatever. So, uh, you, we do need to be careful in these kind of physical so situation it was in the mind it's alright in the mind yeah in the mind in the mind you know the majority of the time uh, the recitation of the mind is an invalid recitation okay like salah is rejected I mean especially you guys know Shafi'i are very very strict upon that yeah and um, uh, uh, but there are some unique cases where in the mind might be accepted. It's ironic actually you ask that because the in the mind part would be for intercourse, for example, the dua for intercourse, the dua which one would say when uh, the, the Bismillah, for example, when they're starting ghusl and you're in the bathroom. And so some of the ulama, we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks' time. What, what is the ruling on um, those scholars who said no, the, the sunnah of Bismillah would happen outside of the area? Listen, don't forget, okay? That when the Prophet would uh, do ghusl or something like that, and he would say Bismillah, like, you, like you're meant to, right? This is not a bathroom. It's his house. Remember, the house of the Prophet doesn't have a separate room. So what would happen is that they would either put a curtain up or lock the door, and the bathtub would be put in the middle of the room or in a corner of the room, and they pour the water on themselves. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's not such a major issue to say Bismillah like there, because it's in a house, and you're uh, you're naked. Yes, but that doesn't prohibit you from saying Bismillah. The problem with Bismillah is when you are in the act of the toilet or in a toilet, and because of our time, 
we are having a separate area and even that time as well then the issue arises does a person say out loud or not and anyway uh, Sheikh will discuss that that when a person is making ghusl in a modern day bathroom should he say bismillah out or not and the issue is as I said that in most of the time the actual uh, articulation is necessary and anything which is not articulated in the mind is not to be considered legally and that makes sense as well imagine if we allowed legally this to make sense then people would just go and say whatever you know deal would become a joke it would become chaos where did you agree i agreed in my mind what was the contract i said it here <laughs> yeah I mean, you know well i married you for how much mahar only five pounds <laughs> where five pounds in here no no it was it was it was, it was 20 million ringgit no, it wasn't. It was only 10 ringgit in, in, in my mind. You know, it, it, it turned the deen upside down, it would. So there needs to be obviously telephone in everything, in principle, in principle, in articulation. Any other questions on the topic? Then we can open up on, yeah. Um, yes, yes. So the good question, that so a question is that if you're fasting in Ramadan and one is to go to sleep and they have a ejaculation, how does it affect the fast? The answer is that it affects the fast not at all because uh, purity is not a condition for fasting other, other than for a woman and that is hayyad and, and nifas, postpartum and, and, and so on. But sexual impurity and other physical impurity is not a condition. That is why, for example, if a person goes to sleep at night time and doesn't wake up for suhoor, and uh, uh, you know, misses suhoor and wakes up in time for fajr though and prays fajr but miss suhoor, miss the beginning of the fast being pure, doesn't affect the fast. Doesn't, in fact, that used to happen as well. Uh, so in the daytime as well, person has wet dream or any other uh, form, it doesn't break the fast and it would, it would be uh, uh, make ghusl and carry on. Of course, if he had intercourse, then that's obviously one of the major kabair and then there's a very serious kind of penalty in that and as you know two months of continuous fasting and making up the fast again etc 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 yes 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 they are because the nature of the the nature of the ghusl is based upon a physical reality as opposed to just a uh, a physical reality with the person as opposed to just the physical liquid itself yes 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 Yes. Yes. Ejaculation is not a condition. Yeah. Correct.
Yes. But it doesn't do outside support. Yes. Yes, yes. 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 How can we like Yeah. So the brother asked, is that Zalakhir a really good a really good question? Okay. And it comes up in the, the detailed answer to this comes up in about three weeks' time in the in the in the same chapter. But just to summarize the point. The point basically is that the female anatomy being different, then it is uh, to make the same kind of analogy to the female of the various characteristics for sperm per se in the male is a lot more difficult. It's very easier to see in the male from a spurting point of view and a pleasure point of view, but not so much in the female. And the problem is, is that if you apply that to the female, she will hardly ever have this kind of spurting and therefore you will be missing many times where there might be, for example, semen being ejaculated or semen being present that should obligate ghusl in the female, but in actual fact doesn't. There's two things I want to just say because I don't want to, I don't want to explain the lesson now. Yeah. Actually, um, uh, just the, the, more, the, more, the more kind of holistic answer that I want to give you. You know, you mentioned that uh, it's very difficult for the man, it's very easy for the man to see anything in the, of that nature and very difficult for the woman to see of that nature. Yes? Have you ever thought that this is a good thing? If you actually think about it, this is a blessing for the woman. In actual fact, uh, as we know, women are having discharge of all sorts all the time. And therefore, this is almost like protective of her. It is, uh, what, what do we know about, what, what do we know practically about women? We know that sexually they are far less excited and uh, enticed than men are. And it is far unlikely for her to be ejaculating like a man does. And therefore, it would already fall into something rarer than compared to a man. Add that to the fact that she is having a multitude of different discharges, whether it is hayab, whether it is istihada, whether it is dumb, whether it is discharge of its different types, which is separate from al-wadi and from al-madi and her own specific form of fluid, which we can call mani, but we can't see it in terms of sperm, but more in semen. And it makes actual sense in the hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu knows best, that it is the condition still be applied to the woman and only something super obvious from the woman would obligate it in her case. So what would that be? That would be like when I mentioned to you, you know, some of the scholars, they said, difqan is not a necessity. It is ladha, because ladha will actually encompass everything. Well, if we take that position, it is practically the same position anyway. And a woman, if she has a orgasm, then that is the easiest, simplest form of saying there was discharge with pleasure. And it's very clear to see. And whether it is ejaculating or not in a form, but the pleasure has overcome it. And Sheikh Muthimin made it very, very clear. It's not possible for anyone to have orgasm without there being ejaculation, whether it's in, without being in, in difq, within spurts or so on. I personally think that this is the reason why the qiyas is done and continued for the woman without any extra details required that would respect her different anatomy, her different reaction. It's almost like protective of her state. I think that fits her normative state I think that fits her nature. I think that also fits the fact that she has far more discharges than a man ever will. 
and I think it all fits. Allah knows best. But I think it's a really, really good question. And inshallah, I'm glad because it will give me some more uh, stuff to, to, to look into for the lesson when it comes out, inshallah. Uh, anything on the actual topic? Yes. So a person is impure, sexually impure, and they're not taking their ghusl for a period of time. And uh, what's the ruling on that? Yeah. But that the ruling is, is depending upon what the time is saying. So for example, if it is an empty time, for example, like, I'm just making this up, like after Asr, for example. Well, you know you can't pray after Asr anyway. Yes, it's an empty time. A Muslim, there's no doubt about that it is that it is going to be disliked for a Muslim to be in a state of Janaba longer than absolutely necessary because the angels are not going to be there, the barakah is not going to be the same, you can't recite Quran, make zikr, you can't do anything of any good, so you're restricted by what you are. But is it a, a, a wajib for him to make ghusl immediately? No. It's wajib for him to make ghusl for Maghrib. It's not wajib for him to make ghusl two hours before. But it is definitely recommended for him. And it will be disliked for Muslim to keep himself away from deen of Allah for so long. It's like the simple emotional question. You know, people would throw it at, would this person want to die in that state? The answer would be, no, no, I wouldn't want to die, you know, uh, say to Janaba. So it was just a mental uh, point. But is it haram? No, it's not haram. A person can remain in Janaba until he's obligated to make Janaba because of Salah. Because of Salah. Okay. So we'll call that inshallah at the end of this lesson and then we'll open up an exercise. Jazakumullah khair, subhanakallah wa bihamdik. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah.